0: Hello, welcome to another episode of the Capital Employed Podcast. For this episode, we had the pleasure of being joined by Dan Shum, who is a private investor and writer of the popular No Name Stocks blog. Dan seeks to invest in micro-nano-cap stocks that have little research and following, but have the potential of becoming multi-baggers. In this episode, Dan talks us through his process and also provides his thesis for investing in two US-listed nano-caps that he thinks have great upside potential. I really enjoyed listening to him and I think you will too. Before we begin, make sure to add your email to the Capital Employed email list. Every so often we publish exclusive interviews that are only available to those on the list. To receive these bonus episodes, please visit capitalemployedfm forward slash exclusive and add your email to the list. Okay, let's jump into this week's episode. Please enjoy my conversation with Dan. Hi, Dan. Thanks for coming on to the podcast.
1: Thanks for having me. It's great to be here.
0: Uh, I've been following you for a while now, so it's great to have you come on. But um, for those who don't know, can you provide a brief introduction to yourself? And what is your investing style?
1: Yes, for sure. So um, my name is Dan Shum. Uh, I have a blog, uh, where people can find me and see what I uh, talk about. So I'm—I have a wife and three kids. I am—I'm 41 years old. I got into stocks um, kind of late in life when I was about 33. So my education is in engineering—that's my degree in college—and my job, full-time. I have a full-time job. I'm an engineer all day, and I just do stock and finance, you know, blogging and stuff at night, kind of in my spare time. About eight years ago, I was working for a startup and my income was the only income like it is now. My wife kind of takes care of the kids and the startup I was working for went under. And so my income went away and we had to pack up and move to my new job. And it left a sour taste in my mouth because I put my family through that. And so I I wanted to find some way to uh, provide another source of income or a safety net for my family. And so I, I started thinking about what else is out there. I ended up reading a lot of books and kind of gravitating towards the stock market. So that was eight or so years ago. And I started just kind of taking over my retirement money bit by bit. So I started with like 5% of my retirement, which was in a, I think it was a Roth IRA. And I just thought I'd get my feet wet and see how things go. And it went well. And I started off with big companies. I kind of moved smaller and smaller, which um, we'll talk about. But uh, over time, as I got more comfortable, I took over more and more of my retirement, and so now I invest all of our retirement for my wife and myself, and then also some, you know, savings that we had sitting in a bank earning nothing. Uh, I took that as well, and so I invest that. I don't, I don't hold any ETFs or bonds or mutual funds or anything. It's all these micro caps and nano caps, tiny little companies that I talk about. That's my whole. all all of my investing money is in that which is most of my net worth my style is i own i would say a lot i own about 50 to 60 stocks at any given time you know the biggest one right now is probably a little over 10 percent of my portfolio but they're pretty evenly spread out um you know the ones with i guess i have more conviction or that i'm able to buy more are bigger positions i kind of require big home runs to, to do well. And so I buy a lot of these little tiny stocks that I think have the potential to grow very big or to generate for the stock to move a lot. I'm not looking for like a 30% gain or 50 or even 100. I'm looking for like 5X, 10X kind of returns. And they don't all make it. So some of them die. I have some that are like 90% loss or whatever. They're kind of just gone. But I keep holding them. But then, what makes up for it is that I have a number of stocks that have gone up 10x or 5x, and those ones that go way up, you can you can kind of make up for a lot of the losers. I focus on very small, kind of obscure, out of the ordinary stocks. Um, that's for a few reasons. Number one is I want less competition, right? So this is all a game, and I'm trying to win the game, and so I want to have the the least amount of competition and eyeballs as possible so i look at stuff that's very small that's the edge that individual investors have as they can look at these tiny tiny companies and build up a position that wouldn't even move the needle for like most funds out there i'm also looking for stocks that will like i said give me maximum price movement so they're volatile they jump around um, but that's where the opportunity lies So the stocks that move the most are the ones that start off at the lowest price and are smallest and have the lowest share count. So I'm looking, you know, the lower the share count, that's the lower supply. So when that demand comes at some point, the stock will move more. The lower the price is in absolute terms, the more it'll move. So like a thousand dollar stock doesn't jump to 2000 or 4000 very often, but like a 10 cent stock goes to 20 cents all the time or 50 cents. You know, there's a reason when you're at the grocery store in the line at checkout, they have all those tiny little low price things there because people will buy them without even thinking twice. And it's the same with stocks. So if you have some 50 cent stocks, those are more likely to go up than, than like a higher price, even if it's lower, even if the higher priced one might be low relative to say intrinsic value. I'm looking for like a low absolute price. That's so mostly penny stocks. I also look at charts a lot. So, if someone tells me about a stock, the first thing I'm going to do is pull up a chart. I want to see if it's at a low spot on the chart, sitting at some support there, because the lower it is, stocks that have done poor recently do better in the near future. And then I want them low price relative to intrinsic value. So, I don't go that deep on any of the companies like calculating returns on invested capital or like comparing to other companies in the, in the space, I'm looking more, I guess, at like the situations, the stock price, what I think the sentiment is in the market. And then I spread out the bets. So I buy, I buy these ones that are maybe hated or ugly or have some problems. They're struggling to survive and I buy them and then I just wait. And I think if you wait long enough, a lot of these tiny little companies survive and they find something new. So I'm always looking for change. These tiny little companies, if they're kind of struggling to get by, they might be like selling off old divisions to kind of pay the bills, or maybe they have a new division that they are, have some hope that it provides some growth. And so I look for those types of situations. Sometimes they have some old real estate they might say sell. Um, to fund some new operations and you know they don't all work like i said but if you find some of these ones that the market hates and the market has driven down to you know the lowest spot of the on the chart of the last 30 years and if they're trying these new things and that new thing happens to catch on you can make a lot of money the stock price can go pretty high and so that's what i'm trying to catch
0: Ah, oh, that's great okay and where, where do you find your ideas
1: I crowdsource. I guess I always have. So when I started out, like I said, I was reading books, and I would I would get some ideas from you know Greenblatt books or Buffett books or whatever. And then I found uh, this whole blogging community online, and I started and Seeking Alpha, and I started following people on there. And you know, you follow a blog, and then you see who they follow or you follow someone on Seeking Alpha and you see who comments on their stuff, who's kind of also sounds smart, follow who they follow. And eventually you can kind of build up this list of, of people to follow and of stocks that they talk about. And so I just have this long list, you know, I've also, I've met people through my blog. It's one of the really great benefits of having a blog is that people talk back to me. And so I write, about these these little companies that not that many people are talking about and the people who are in this space are passionate about it and so they'll some people write back and say oh you like you know xyz stock how about this one check this one out like i think this one's interesting some such and such is happening or you know the ceo left and this new person is taking over what do you think of that and so i'll check out those stocks that get mentioned to me there's there's one person in particular that i've met through my blog who has become a mentor and really Provide a lot of education to me. He, he also gives me probably most of my ideas come from him. He kind of mentions all these stocks. So it, it's really from that. I'm on Twitter and I follow a lot of smart people on Twitter. And so when they mention a stock, I kind of add it to my list. And so I just have this big, long list of stocks. It's hard to get through them all, you know, but I try to get through them and respond to people who talk to me. And just in that process, you find some that are worth, you know, buying. If I have some money to invest and I, I, I'm looking for something to buy, I'll just go back through my long list that I keep and look at what is down a lot in the past year. Say, what's at a 52 week low or what's been cut in half? Is it interesting to buy here? Because someone mentioned to me, so they must have liked it when it was like a lot higher and now it's lower. So maybe it's more interesting. And it all comes back to this idea, like I said, of kind of patience and that these companies survive. And so if you just have, A list you know i have a list of i guess a few hundred stocks if they're like not junk some of them are junk if they're investable you just kind of wait and watch as the market pushes the stock up and down and swings from the highs to the lows you can get some opportunity in these different stocks and so without even really doing screeners or anything if you have a list and you just wait like some fish will come to your pond you know like something will drop down and become interesting And then buy some of that and then just keep waiting. And so I have some stocks that I've held for years. You know, I haven't been in the game that long, but I have stocks that I've held probably six, seven years, something.
0: Yeah, I really like that approach. You mentioned that you had 60 stocks in your portfolio at the moment. Can you talk about two of those stocks that you're um, very bullish on for the long term? And what was your thesis for investing?
1: Yeah, I have a couple to talk about here today. Uh, The first one we can start with is uh, GVP. It's G- GSE Systems is the, the name of the company. It's a turnaround story. And it's going back to what I was saying about like open up a long-term chart. If you open up the GVP all-time chart that goes back to the mid-90s, you'll see the stock sitting at a low, all-time low support area, which is about, it's like at $130-ish right now, $1.30 or so. And if you look at the chart, you can see that over the last... 25 years or whatever, the stock has come down a number of times to this area and then moved up from this area. Without even knowing what the company does, you can see that and kind of get excited that like, well, it's happened a bunch of times in the past. The company has survived this long. So if I just buy it at this area where it normally doesn't go lower, and if I wait, something will happen someday. So I might wait six months, I might wait five years, but I think at some point it's going to move up. And it kind of fits my criteria. It has a little bit more share count that I'd like. There's 20.6 million shares out. There's no preferred or warrants or anything. So, so that's good. I I'd normally like to have share count. I mean, less than 10 million is ideal. Anything over, say, 25 million, and I start to get pretty turned off. But, but it's got a low share count. And it's also, I'm always looking at the business and I don't want to buy a melting ice cube, right? If you're going to take this approach of kind of like, I'll buy this junk and then just wait until people don't think it's junk, you can't buy a melting ice cube or it's gonna, it's not going to work out. So I I don't go that deep into the companies, like I said, but I do try to evaluate if I think these companies will likely you know, thrive in the future and have the potential to grow. And so that's where the turnaround comes in. So this company got a new CEO, in 2015, Kyle Loudermilk, and he previously was at a few different companies and he has a software background. So GVP, what they do is engineering services and workforce solutions for the energy industry, mostly nuclear. So they're kind of entrenched in this high barrier to entry market. And if you have a nuclear power plant and you want to train new workers, they they can help you with that. If you want them to design a thermal system or something for you, they can help you with that. If you need to hire temporary workers, they can help you with that. But the but the interesting thing is the CEO, who, like I said, he has a software background. So why is he coming to this like staffing company? So what he when he took over, the company had a software component, but they gave it away for free. Just both the rest of their services, so they didn't differentiate it at all. And if you go back through the press releases, especially over the last couple of years, GVP has really been pushing the software side of things. So now they've they they've been splitting out their software, which is like um, simulation software, training software, and they've been splitting it out as a software as a service type of business. And it's been growing. Almost 90% of their revenue is nuclear right now. So if you like the nuclear take, that's one thing. But they're also trying to expand into other energy markets as the world moves towards green energy, wind, and solar. And that they're trying to push into that side as well. So it's this company that I don't see dying, sitting at a low point in the chart with a new CEO who has kind of done the software type stuff before, and they are... Splitting off this part of their business that already existed to this high growth potential software as a service offering. And so if you look at the stock price, right now their market cap is about 27 million. Revenue in the last year is 52 million. So if they, and their revenue has taken a hit due to COVID, it was 70, 80 million um, the year prior. But even just with 52 million, you could say like, At the current stock price, you're paying about half of revenue, 0.5 times revenue for this other existing business, and you're getting this software as a service side for free. That's one way to look at it. The other way to look at it, if you you say their kind of historic business is worth one times revenue and the SaaS is worth three times, then that would put the stock at about three bucks. I'm not really much into providing valuations. I, I try to more look at the situation as if I hold and wait, I think it's more likely that I'll win than I'll lose. And this is one of those situations. I bought into starting in December when they started putting out some of these, like I said, they've been putting out more and more of these press releases. They started talking more about the software side and they signed up some big customers. The stock ran up to 280 and now it's dropped back down. And so I've been buying more recently.
0: Yeah, it's in a, um, a sector nuclear as well, which has suddenly become quite a, a hot area. Excuse the pun. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so if yeah. they can start to ride that wave, if all these governments suddenly realize that they maybe need to start building more nuclear power, mm-hmm. it could, um, yeah, really ride a, a good wave there.
1: Yeah, th- that's another part of it is kind of like, you know, I want a company that will thrive. But if you also buy into these things that are kind of like you said, like these hot button topics, sometimes the stock will move up like not relative to intrinsic value, but just because the general public thinks that like, you know, oh, they're associated with Bitcoin and then they run the stock up or it's associated with, you know, whatever, and they'll run the stock up. So like you said, it it could be with all the um, yeah, energy, green energy, nuclear, uranium stuff, potentially it could have a run.
0: Thanks for sharing that one. It looks like a really interesting um, situation there. And how about your uh, second stock that you're bullish on?
1: All right. So the second one I got is one I actually wrote up on my blog in April of this year. And the stock price uh, is about where it was. So it's Paragon Technologies, PGNT. t This one is less of a chart story and more of uh, cheapness. So they, they have only 1.7 million shares outstanding, which is like amazing to have such a small share count. One of the very interesting things is that a few years back, they reduced the number of authorized shares from 20 million down to 4 million, which usually you see it going the other way and then there's dilution, right? But here they're actually cutting it down. So this guy, Sham Gad, owns about a third of the company and he fancies himself as kind of a mini Buffett. He used to have like a value blog. He's written a Buffett book. So it's kind of a bet on him, which that might turn some people off because he does have a little bit of a colored past. He has put together in, in the seven years he's been there, revenue has gone up by $100 million while adding only 100,000 shares. The market cap now is, is $10 million. Book value is 12 million so it's trading under book in the last 12 months they've done 124 million in revenue and earned a dollar 80 per share that's excluding ppp loan forgiveness so right now the stock is trading at 0.8 times book three times earnings and 0.08 times revenue which is is too cheap it's just ridiculously cheap they have a few different business units Um, Like I said, the guy thinks he's Buffett, and so he owns a little bit of real estate. They own this kind of electronics distributor in South America. Um, There's a couple other things, but that part is not too, I don't know. Like I said, I'm not looking that deeply into the business. It's it's just cheap. The stock has come up. I mean, if they keep doing, you know, if they keep earning 50 cents a quarter, then it's going to go up a lot higher.
0: Yeah, I've noticed their return on um, equity and return on capital employed is quite impressive as well over the
1: last few years. Mm-hmm. They ha- they've had a very good, the last year or two, I think COVID helped them with this electronics distribution with all the working from home and everything. It's another one. If, you, you know, if I look out 10 years, I, I, I see the stock being higher.
0: Yeah, it's a really interesting situation. Yeah, okay, uh, Dan. Yeah, thanks for sharing those two where can, um, listeners go to find out more about you?
1: Best way is go to my blog. It's no name stocks.com. I'm also on Twitter at no name stocks on my blog. There's an about page where it's got my email on there. So people can email me. I like hearing from everyone and, um, chatting and I try to post as often as I can, you know, it's hard with the family and everything and work, but I, I try to get up about maybe a blog post a month or so.
0: Okay. That's great. Thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. It's been great um, listening to all your uh, process and the stocks you're into.
1: Yeah, it's been fun.